The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. PFF Podcast is brought to you by True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash offer not available in all areas. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Mike Renner. It is your NFL Scouting Combine edition we're sitting here on Friday morning. Mm-hmm. The O-linemen are already working out. Yes. And you and I just got back from the Combine, uh, Mike. You know, we, we have a slightly different week. Sam and I were explaining this last week. We get there a little bit earlier, meet with our team clients, do a lot of uh, stuff uh, early in the week, and then come back and watch all the workouts. But we have something very special for our listeners here today. By the way, how are you doing before I announce that? Doing great. Yeah. Yeah. Very you look good. good. It was good. Uh, yesterday wasn't great not. after the party on Wednesday. Thursday wasn't my best day, but then Friday I'm, I'm back in action. Man, did you miss you missed the PFF party a couple years ago because you were sick, right? Yes, I was too sick to go a couple years ago, and I've lamented ever since. Yeah, we have, uh, we have a little get-together every year with uh, Chris. Yeah, Chris is uh, very kind to us. Gets, mm-hmm. He throws us a little party. Uh, not for us, really. It's for our clients. It's for you know, all the team front office people are media friends and all that stuff and um there's an open bar yeah sometimes we have to um yeah i have two open bars this you. week i'm going to a wedding on saturday so it's a d- dangerous week we'll need me. a full report next week when you come back yeah on uh the better open bar um so yeah we had a good little time uh, at the combine um one of my big takeaways talking to teams i tweeted this out though there's more infiltration of the pff evaluation system you know, we have the data that people love mm-hmm. Um, but people using our evaluations, our grades, and, and just you know throwing those into the mix um, as they're making player decisions. So that's always good to see more and more every single uh, every single year. Um, so very special guest today, Lance Zerline from 
NFL.com. Mm-hmm. He is the guy that writes every scouting profile over at NFL.com. And we were excited to get Lance on the podcast because, uh, you know, first off, he uses very colorful language. Oh, he's the analogy scouting king. Reports. The analogy king. Um, he did have uh, some stacked up analogies. Yeah, he goes in, two analogies deep every time. Yeah. You can't, this, have, can't just have one. This was all pre-recorded. So Mike and I have heard. Yeah. I mean, I did the interview, so yeah. I know what he said. Mm-hmm. Mike's listened to it. So what we're going to do is let you hear uh, my interview with Lance Airline. It was about 15, 17 minutes. Um, we discussed a little bit of scouting versus, not scouting versus analytics, but scouting and analytics, what we do versus um, the idea with, uh, behind scouting. So there's some really good stuff on there, some, some analogies in there. Um, so we'll play that and then come back and uh, give our take on what, what Lance said. That all sound good? All right, let's get to it. Our exclusive interview with Lance Zerline, NFL.com. All right, here with Lance Zerline, the, uh, the guy that writes how many scouting profiles? 500 a year. 500. And if there's anyone that gets drafted I don't have a profile on, I have to write them after the draft. Oh, man, so you never, it never ends. It never ends. No, no. Author of up to this point, uh, 20, over 2,400 over the last four and a half years. Great. And, um, you know, we like to peruse them. And I see you have some unique scouting terms in there as well. So how do you keep, how do you keep it fresh for 500 per year? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting question um, that you ask because the first year it's easy. You know, it's all brand new. Right. <clears throat> the second year, I, I have to – I recognize being redundant. And so right. I want to – you know, I can tell you I, I've got thesaurus and power thesaurus – up on the bookmarks tab. Okay, because it feels um, like that sometimes, and I just wanted to confirm that. That's good. Yeah, but I also have words. Like, there are different ways to say can't do something. Sure. And yeah. so I've got I, – I, I mix it up because I want uh, my draft profiles – you know, it used to be in paragraph form, and now they've gone to bullet points. They wanted to go to bullet right. points. So it becomes – when it's bullet point style, it's easier to have redundancy of terminology sure. and, and, and basic words and right. simple words. So. I try to avoid that as best I can, um, and and sometimes I come up with new terminology and phraseology. I really did that the first two or three years. Once you get to year four and now year five, it's yeah. just about getting through it. Like the yeah. flowering language, I save for really you know for Ed Oliver and for for guys right. that really pop. Yeah, but um, it's really a battle of painting a picture. I had Jerry Angelo once tell me, "Just say what you see." Yeah, you know you got to say what you see. But I come from uh, the background of radio. For 21 years, I've been in radio and, and doing content production and writing at the same time. I've done writing for um, a good portion of that. And so I recognize that through the radio stuff, as a storyteller, it's important that when you have a certain feeling about a player, you want to be able to find ways to get that out that can be impactful to the reader. Right. And so I do take time to do that um, there have been times I wanted to do it in a negative way, and now I try to right. hold back because I know these players read these, and they get, mm-hmm. they get upset about positive things. Like I can have a positive review on a player, but because I have any weaknesses at all, oh, I mean. Nobody has weaknesses. Come on. Now. No, I mean, uh, thankfully, all these second, third, and fourth rounders who I say good things about, they, they're upset that there's any weaknesses at all. So it, it, it can get – I'm working right now 70 hours a week leading up to the draft between radio and my radio show and this. Right. And so it can, get, um, it can get a little monotonous, so you do need to break it up with yeah. phraseology. Yeah, so that's, that's funny because we've done, you know, we're mostly data-driven, but we've done some scouting reports, and I, <clears throat> I realized 
you know, I'm self-aware, I think, enough to see that, but it's, it's a challenge to kind of mix it up. So one of the things we focus on so much here at PFF is we, you know, we, do, we grade every single player on every play, pure production grade. We're not looking at technique. Did you make the block? Did you not? And we feel like it spits out some data that has use moving forward. And it, we always say, hey, look, the advantage is we get to quantify every snap. It's film-based. we got football guys mm-hmm. doing it, and they're quantifying it. But then... You know, a lot of people don't know you have football guys doing it. Yeah, so look, we, have, we are always... And, you know, people that listen to the podcast are like, hey, you guys got to stop telling us how good you are. Because a lot of it's we have to, like, we feel like we have to prove ourselves. Right. But then there's people that still don't understand who is doing the grading. No, and I get the sense, you know, I, I, I find it interesting to watch and listen. Because I know that sometimes the grading thing, I've sat in with my dad and, and watched him grade tape after a... Um, um, after a Steelers game when he was coaching with the Steelers, and it just blew my mind that how the grading works. And yeah. I think from coach to coach it can vary. Right. And especially for certain position, it's harder. it can be harder than others to, yep. to determine whether it's a plus, a minus, or kind of a neutral grade and yep. how coaches do it. So I think that's one of the reasons you guys get pushed back and blow back on grades. But I do sense that there is a, a defensiveness because you guys – don't feel like people give you a fair shake on who is grading or how the and how everything works because the thought is well you got guys who are in their basement who are just right. you know guessing off a of TV tape. They might be in their I, basement, I know that's not but the we case. got former coaches and we have former yeah, the, NFL players in right, there and stuff, exactly. guys that are trained up. But so. a lot of people don't know that, right? So yeah, we try to we do try to convey that message. So I think the fun part about this is every coach does see it differently. I would say our advantage is, all right, we're going to try to look at the league through the same eyes. Um, so my point is we have this massive amount of data that even if there are mistakes ac- uh, along the way, if we could say this data points to this at the next level, you know, there's, there's some use there. So now then balancing that between what I, your eyes see in the scouting community. So have you thought about tapping into any of that and saying, okay, I'm doing this from a scouting standpoint do I need to at least make a portion of my evaluations data-driven or stat-driven or whatever I, other I, I components have, are? I have since 2014. Yeah. Every analysis that I do from when I used Xinfo data previously with stats and now this is my first year looking at PFF data, um, every analysis I do, I research the person and I try yeah. to get a personality profile. Right. What sports did they play? I read articles because uh, sometimes coaches will tell you something, and sometimes their non-comments will also tell you something. Um, I'll watch YouTube videos. I'll, I'll go take a look at a player's social media page whenever I get a chance. Whether I use that or not, it gives me a background. Part of their resume. It, right? it is, and a lot of them don't seem to know that. Right. But, um, but then I've always looked at the data. I've always yeah. looked at the data because it, what it does for me is, it, is you have to watch film, you have to watch tape to get an idea of, for certain factors. But what data does for me is it is it shortcuts the process to where if a guy has a lot of drops or a low number of drops, I mean, that tells me right there a lot about his, I need to go find out why he doesn't catch it well, and or I need to go find out why Sterling Shepard is so good at catching a football. What is it that right. makes him stand out? So for me, data provides me, um, if there are outliers, pro or con for a player, it alerts me to them quickly, right. and so I've always used data for my for my profiles. Um, you know, looking at at, at uh, completion percentage against cornerbacks. <clears throat> sometimes it's very fruitful. Sometimes 
Not as much. Yeah, there's but, 10 overthrows, and it, yeah, it's you have not to telling see. the whole story. You know, like right? Central Michigan cornerbacks, from the first year I did it, where there was a ton of ball production for a Central Michigan, Michigan cornerback, and he ended up not being a player. And then Xavier Crawford and Sean Bunting have a bunch of production. And so Pretty you have well. to go back, and, and certain times you have coaches who they teach their corners to really squat on routes and really play everything underneath, and if you get beat over the top, we'll live with it. So that's what tape does. Right. It sometimes will dis- will dispel some of the data, but at other times, you know, Tredavious White had this unbelievable uh, completion percentage against, unbelievably low. Right. His sophomore year, I want to say, yep. and that's what brought him to my attention headed into his junior season. Or maybe it was his junior season headed into his senior season. He was season. really good as a sophomore, struggled as a junior, was really good again as a senior. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. And so I find that stuff, when I see something high or something low, I, gotta tr- I try to find out. Right. Why was he high or low? Was it actual coverage? And a lot of times, you know, face-up press corners are going to have a lower right. completion percentage against, but can they, like David Long, yep. but is it is it translatable? So I have to go figure out if it's translatable. Michigan corners every year seems to have, seem to have a really low completion percentage against. From right. Jordan Lewis, we've seen it. Um, Good rush Scribbling a couple years ago. So, yeah, you've got pass rush. And then, you know, they're grabby a little bit. I feel like they get away with some stuff in down college, the field. In college, you can murder in college, yeah. and they don't call it. It's You've watched a tape. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The tra- Xavier uh, Rhodes from, from Baylor, whenever he came in, I, he had a lot of pass interference penalties, but he had a lot that weren't called. Right. I don't know that people truly realize how brutal cornerbacks get to treat wide receivers right. in college and how that paradigm shift you know, when it flips the league. I always struggle balance, you know, the balance between a guy that's grabbing a guy because he's beat versus a guy that just knows the college rules and knows, Catch like, man, I, could, yeah. Yeah, I could take advantage of it. So that's always fascinating. Um, so you're, you tweeted the other day, you're giving this analogy, right, about, you know, the ingredients uh, that go into a player. Do you want to sum that up quickly? Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about this. Um, I'm big into traits, into yeah. physical traits. I was, I've was i learned under Chris Ballard and uh, and some Jerry Angelo who taught Chris uh, the, the Packer stuff with Alonzo Highsmith as a good friend. And, and then I've studied, um, you know, with different coaches as well. And there are certain things that are more important physically than other Things for certain positions. I'm not. I'm not saying anything that people don't realize. Mm-hmm. But I always feel like um, you have to. It's like a cake or lasagna or pizza, whatever the whatever you want to use as, as the phraseology here. There are certain, and I'm really a big foodie, so I'm really big into restaurants. There, you could take. Let's say it's like a TV show. It's chopped, and you get a basket, and two chefs. One of them makes this unbelievable dish, and the other one doesn't. And there's good ingredients in there, but they're kind of mismatched and they're not perfect. But somebody with the right vision, a chef's able to do a lot with it, while another chef isn't. Well, that could be traits where a coach gets the most out of their traits. Um, You could have me. They could give me the very best ingredients in the world to to bake a cake, but I'm I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. But it doesn't it doesn't diminish the ingredients. It's just that I wasn't able to get the most out of that cake where coaching a lot of times can get more out of the ingredients. Now, it's not a given. It's never a given. But if you don't have those ingredients, you can be a really good college player, but you've got a a, a floor. I mean, you've got a ceiling at about the fifth round and an average backup to special teams value. If you have special traits, historically, and this has been proven through data, 
um, and through historical analysis, the very best players of all time had special traits, yeah. generally speaking. Right. So that's why traits, there's so many height, weight, speed guys, GMs in the league now. But a lot of the leagues, as you know, are driven by analytics too. But the physical, I mean, that's analytics too, the physical Oh, part. absolutely. Yeah. And this, so this is the fascinating part of the discussion for me. So we have numbers guys that would say, look, if we don't even watch film, let's just run the numbers. We're really, really smart. And we'll say we could get you in the ballpark. To guys, so the complete opposite of of watching film. Let's just use numbers and say, okay, we could get you a sixty percent hit rate. Let's just make up uh, a number, um, and then they would say, you know what, the traits, it either shows up on film or it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And of course, yeah, you can manipulate them and you know cook them differently and all that stuff. So let's use Rashawn Gary versus say Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, great traits, also had great production from a PFF standpoint, and we've actually found our pass rush stuff translates pretty well to the next level. We haven't had too many guys who didn't produce really well in college produce in the NFL. Rashawn Gary's the guy that's going to blow it up here at the Combine, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Doesn't have great production. That's like a major red flag for us. So how do you balance that? Because so on one hand, you could say, look, Rashawn Gary, workout numbers look just like Miles Garrett. But then from PFF standpoint, we'd be like, man, Miles Garrett, great grade, dominated. Gary didn't. <laughs> Red flag. How do you balance those two? Because you can manipulate the numbers any way you want because they're similar in one way and different in another. So that's a, that's a great question. And I feel like football scouting, so I've got a background in some basketball stuff as well. Um, I tried, actually, I wanted to be, I wrote to the Houston Rockets, I wanted to be a scout back when I was in my mid-20s. Man. And actually Joe Ash reached out to me, and who was head of their scouting department. I'm friends with Dennis Lindsay with the Utah Jazz yeah. and Daryl Morey with the Rockets. Um, and so... I kind of take a more holistic, I'm kind of unique in the way that I look at things. I'm very analytical by nature where I want to find out, I believe in a process. And for me, the process is is historical context, which is the data, mm-hmm. which I, I need that. But then I need to find out, well, let's, let's put the data in context. Specifically to Rashawn Gary, and I'm glad you mentioned this, all the traits in the world, yep. extremely explosive. When you turn a tape on, now you got all that, and he'll test. When you turn a tape on, what you see is a guy who gets off the ball fast, but has no instincts as a rusher. He has no rush plan. He has doesn't do anything with his hands, and so he's, you've got these great ingredients. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the cake is going to get made right. Right? Can the chef bring out the right balance? Because baking, for example, is is about um, it's about proportions. It's math. It's not a chef can 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 freestyle. That's that's a, a chef is a freestyle rap rap battle rap artist. A, a pastry chef is a mathematician, and and everything has to be right. And with Rashawn Gary, you got all these ingredients and all these traits. The problem is, can he translate them through coaching? So what I would say is. The best way for me is to go to a coach and say, what can be coached and what can't? And I used my dad as a great tool for that, for offensive linemen. And I said, Dad, this guy does this, and this guy doesn't do this. And so early on, I learned what was coachable and what wasn't. So when That's I talk analytics, to, too. Yeah. You're quantifying what oh, historically absolutely. can be coached or can't. No, and I'm not and, – and look, I'm oh, not – Oh, and I'm not, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not and defending. I'm, I'm just – No, but people get – there's a bugaboo. Analytics scares people or they right. get – they immediately build up a, a defense right. mechanism. And I don't right. – analytics is, is like card counting. It's swinging the odds in your favor yep. is all it is. And so I want to be – so I, I go – but my process, I need to go talk to a defensive back coach and find out what's coachable and what's not. Because they've got years of 
finding out which traits translate and which don't, what's coachable and what's not. So I, part of my process is data. I need to find out what things are coachable. And then what I've come to find out is Rashawn Gary is probably going to succeed or fail based on his football character. Is he committed enough to put in the time and the effort to learn? He may never have the instincts as a rusher, but he can learn just like Josh Allen from last year to this year. You watch tape from last year to this year, you can tell he's learned moves. And he's put them, the inside hand chop is a move that he learned. He put it into practical application. I have no problem projecting his ingredients because I know he's already coachable. I've already seen the signs. I haven't seen it with Rashawn Gary. He's got his own agency that he's doing now. Is his head really on football? Is he really going to be committed to the process it takes to get better to where football consumes him? And he starts to study himself what it takes, and he starts to internalize all this coaching and putting everything together so that those traits matter. It isn't an exact science. That sounds risky. Rashawn Gary is, is probably the high-floor, low-ceiling guy in the draft yep. to me. He's, it's probably him. Yeah, I completely agree. And real quick, on Ed Oliver, pass rush production for us, lower than expected. Yeah. Same... Do you, but do you, okay, but how do you factor the fact that he was on a nose and you've got, you basically set him up to be blocked? No, I know. They got three man rush, a ton, tight, tight. And you can slide to a nose. Like they didn't do their best. And and, and Major Applewhite's told me this, their former coach. Yep. We didn't do our best to put him in the best position sometime defensively. Which boggles my mind sometimes. I know you got to do what's best for the team. Mind boggling. But you have a guy that, you know, in that conference, could have absolutely well, look at how P.J. Hall was used at Sam Houston. Yeah. Or is it Stephen F. for Sam Houston? Sam Houston. P.J. Hall, so I went to his productions off the chart, so I had to go watch a tape and find out, is it real or not? And then what they did for him his senior year is they moved him out wide some and rushed him off the end. Um, they stood him up some. So, you know, what the tape does is it puts in context some of the data for me about how I'm going to use it as I internalize what I think about a player. And I don't mind using data points inside my profiles either. Sure. That's, yeah. that's not a problem for me because I think that helps paint the picture. And if ultimately we want to paint the picture, we talk about a guy has got great ball production. Well, what kind of ball production? Well, this many passes defense. He completed, you know, allowed less than 40% of the passes against him completed. That's important for telling a story. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Great discussion. We could do this for hours, but you have to go. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, Lance Erline, much appreciated. Thanks for being on. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. All right, Mike, what do you think? We got to hear, um, first off, confirmed. Lance does the scouting reports with a, th- uh, with a thesaurus. thesaurus handy. So that's, I mean, good. that's smart. You have to, and it is even doing fewer, even just writing in my notes for guys, it's hard to not repeat the same things because there's it only is. so many different sort of traits or so many different areas to watch for a guy. It's hard to say a guy is strong, you know, 20 times throughout the course of draft season. You there's do a good job. I look at your notes. You yeah. And so it, prodigious strength is, is something you wrote prodigious. next to Dalton Reisner. I'm just looking at he it is. right now in your notes. I mean, yes, that's accurate so uh, you have to come up with different ways to say the same thing or else you yourself get even bored so i respect the hustle from lance i i I agree and one of the things i forgot to follow up on was how when do you say can do can't do Mm -hmm. Uh, or especially can't how often do you need to say see something like can't make a backside cutoff block or whatever how many times do you have to see that before you say can't yes or is it struggles with or you know how do you 
how do you position that? But um, any other big takeaways that you heard from some of the um, things he was saying and some of the analogies that he had? I think the the chef thing kind of makes sense. No, I think that was. I don't want to say it was what I expected, but it just I followed his work for a long time, and I think he. You can tell he puts in the time to be to get to where he is. He obviously coming from a very different perspective than we are, but I respect anyone who's going to put in the time with all these guys. He does the background information on these guys that's so valuable uh, to even us here at PFF reading that stuff, finding out you know more in-depth stuff that you can't necessarily see on tape. He does that as well. So uh, I definitely respect all that work he puts in, and you can tell he does. Yeah, and the, the, so the one question... So guys, you can tell they don't also. So oh, <laughs> I agree. I agree. He definitely puts the work in. Um, he's had some uh, idiots online plagiarize his stuff over yes. the last couple of years who he's had to call out. Um, I thought it was interesting how much he does you know, focus on whether you call it analytics or not. He at least focuses on stats and, and mm-hmm. quantified okay. yeah. things. Um, and as he was talking, as we were discussing the Rashawn, the Rashawn Gary stuff, in my head, thinking from a PFF perspective or just a probability perspective, you know, it's like, well, what if he goes to this defensive line coach? And what if this? And I'm just thinking, okay, what's... But what's the probability of this stuff hitting? And I think that's where we always come back to. If there's a million what-ifs for this guy, like Rashawn Gary, and versus, say, a Nick Bosa, mm-hmm. where we're like, all right, he's probably going to hit. Yeah, we're 80% confident, 90% yeah. confident he's going to hit. Where's Rashawn Gary with this production's bad, the agency thing? How much do you weigh that? I don't know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't sound great. Um, I mean, is he a 20% hit rate? Is he a 30% hit rate? And if that's the case, that would be the reason why we have him at, in the second round yeah. versus the first round, even though he's almost certainly going to go in the first round. Yeah, one of the interesting things that even Lance said there was the coaching that you get at the NFL is going to be, you know, can a guy, what can coaches fix? That whole conversation of right. knowing what a coach can fix, knowing what a coach can't fix. A coach obviously can't make you more explosive or run, you know, have be as powerful as Rashawn Gary. But at the same time, he was at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, one of the better coaches when he was in the NFL, and an NFL sort of staff there on the defensive side of the ball when they had when he was there. If it wasn't being coached into him, then it's like, what? What are the chances? Some other, you know, it's not. Like he's coming. From, it's not like Zed Oliver coming from Houston at this right. point. Ed Oliver coming from Houston, you can see. Yeah, there's probably things on tape that he can fix. Uh, probably not going to get the same coaching he got there than he's going to get in the NFL. But Sean Gary's different conversation in that regard. That's why I brought up Ed. Um, because he has that potential, so to speak, um, he did just weigh in yes. at, what, 287? This morning. We talked about him in a little bit. We, we, we could talk about him in a bit, yes. Um, but I do think it's different. Ed Oliver versus Rashawn Gary. Ed Oliver at least has a good on-field PFF grade. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit lower in the pass rush department. And what Lance said about him playing on the nose and all that stuff does make sense. I think I'm going to do I'll do a full breakdown on the YouTube channel. Do it. We'll show how often he lined up there, maybe how much that affected mm-hmm. uh, his pass rush ability. So... Again, an interesting discussion, and uh, you know we'll just continue. I will try to get Lance on again because I think there's uh, there's a very good back and forth there. Anything else that stood out before? I have got some breaking measurables. No, that go you're ahead, interested go in. breaking measurables here. Okay, let's, let's, go, get let's into, go into the real combine. Yeah, let's what? get into what we look for in the combine. Uh, players we're looking for in the combine. Mm-hmm. I've got some breaking measurables for you as we put the draft board together at edge defender. We yes. said okay, it's Nick Bosa number one. It's Josh Allen, number two, from Kentucky. The next group was FSU's Brian Burns, Florida's Ja'Kai Polite, Clemson's Cleland Farrell. Uh, mm-hmm. Farrell. Cleland. Cleland Farrell. I screw it up every single time. It's Cleland. Tough. Cleland sounds like it should be a name, too. Cleland. I, I mean, I also said Cleve Wolford, so <laughs> look. It's, 
I yeah. got it. I got it. It's Cleveland. I got Cleveland. Uh, we've got measurables for Brian Burns and Ja'Kai Polite. Have mm-hmm. you seen them yet? I have, actually. Oh, this isn't breaking. Very, very pleased. But break it to it. Break it to me. Break it to the audience. Okay, Brian Burns, the weight was the big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of these guys, they've got the pop, you know, or the, the explosiveness to get to the outside. But can they win with some power? 249 pounds, uh, almost 6'5", height-wise, arm 33 and 7 eighths. Um, so the 249 pounds... When we thought it could have been as light as what two thirty five, two forty. Yeah, that's 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 it's good. Good. I will say he probably chugged four to five gallons of water this morning before you yeah. know going up on that stage. I heard a story that someone had to run from the stage where they were being measured in because they had to go to the bathroom. Probably With because so they had water. just chugged so much water. Because I mean, when you know you're undersized, you know that that number you just have right. to get to a point. He probably wanted to get to two fifty. Two fifty would have looked nice on a piece of paper. Two forty nine still good enough in my opinion. And again, he's still young to wear, and with the frame to wear five to ten more pounds over the course of the rest of the offseason. Not crazy. And then Jakai Polite six two and five eighths, two hundred fifty eight pounds. He looks. I think he looks a little bit lighter. On film in general, so being a two fifty eight, two fifty eight is a very good way for him. Thirty two yes. and five inch, uh, five eighth inch, uh, inch arms. Do you, do you care about arm length at all? With yes, edge I do. defenders, I, not I, so much him, but it, edge defenders. Yeah, in general. it does. I, I, it definitely matters. It, well, I wrote an article actually earlier this week about Jonah Williams, and when you have that length advantage, it's like a boxer. When you have the ability to reach farther than the other guy, the chances of you making landing that first punch getting the first contact is bigger. So if you have the reach advantage, guys like Montez Sweat, Charles Menehue have long reaches, it's just going to help you in terms of you don't have to be as crisp with your hands when you have that length advantage. And I will say this, though, going back to Brian Burns versus someone like Leonard Floyd at the Combine who had very similar profile to Burns in terms of size, arm length, but Floyd chugged all that water, only got to 244. Yeah, like yeah. That's when it's concerning, is when you're chugging all that and you still can't get to a weight. So that means he was probably playing in the 230s, are realistically. Ad- and that's just that, to me, is when it's too small. Are you adjusting for everyone, water weight-wise? Are you just assuming everybody that undersized. needs to add weight yes. is just five pounds inflated? I do think so. And also, it's important to remember that the sort of the density matters as well. So 250 at... Burns' weight is a lot different that, or Burns' height, excuse me, is a lot different than 258 or whatever at Polite's height, which Polite's 6'2, Burns yeah, you, almost 6'5. You want to get under. That's, a bit, that's, a, that's just different body types right there. So Polite, very good weight for him. Burns still on the small side. That's a little concerning. Currently, we've got Burns and Polite very close. Burns then Polite in the first round on our, on our big board, Farrell uh, Lower. Does that do anything for you? I think, no, that's good. If it was lower than that, if it was something, if he came in in the low 240s, that would have been concerning. Okay, great. Um, and again, you know, we also come from the perspective of all of this stuff should essentially come up on film. You know, yes. if, if, you're, if you can't win with power, and this is something we're looking into mm-hmm. quite a bit, we have the data with these edge defenders. Do they win outside, inside, or with a bull rush? And looking back through the years, even the guys that had a good college grade rushing the passer... If they didn't do it with a bull rush, mm-hmm. they haven't tra- translated to the NFL. We'll try to look at that, into is that Brian data Burns, further. Though. That's a lot of that is Brian Burns, so not Burns, a lot of bull rushes. Still. So that's a concern. Yes. This was what Vic Beasley was like. This mm-hmm. is what Leonard Floyd was like. And I know Floyd has had some pressures over the last couple of years, but as far as like one-on-one mm-hmm. wins and PFF grade, it's not there. Um, it's not there for a top 10 type of pick, whereas the Miles Garretts and Joey Bosa's, who have definitely translated, yes. can win any way. Yeah. They could in college, and they can still in the NFL. I do feel like Brian Burns, though, someone like Yannick Ngakwe is probably his 
uh, a good comparison in terms of that's the way Yannick Ngakwe wins. He's not a bull rusher, was not right. at Maryland either. So if that's that it sometimes hits, I think that's his sort of projection if you're going to the NFL. And I think he was a better run defender than Ngakwe as well. It's a good job because good job pulling that out. Yes. Because Ngakwe was one of he was the outlier, yeah. the guy that did not win with power in college, even according to the numbers, not just your perception. All right, it, speaking generally here, um, we don't care a whole lot about the O-line workouts, yes. I don't think. There's just so little correlation. Probably your best correlations are with agility drills in offensive line. If you're really poor I've on the sort of the shuttle, that's you're really chicken or the egg, man. If you're really poor in the shuttle, it's also going to show up on tape. Though. You're going right. to look slow in pass protection. Yeah, it's the gonna... best players are pro- probably move well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is what I would say. Yeah, because and I think it's also a lot of it is there's a lot of just fat guys in college that can play at somewhat of a high level in college right. because of, you know, if you're just big, a lot of times you can play offensive line well in college because of just no one else's the athleticism of the defensive line. But to really play at a high level, you still need the athleticism and still shines through. All right, let's touch on Jonah Williams really quickly because there's a few guys when, when their measure, measurables were announced. Kyler Murray, one of them. Jonah Williams, one of them. Uh, a lot of people had takes. They had opinions. Yeah. So Jonah Williams, the talk coming into the NFL Combine and this entire process, very good left tackle at Alabama. But some teams are looking to uh, looking for him to play guard because of short arms. What did he come in at? 33, 33 and 5'8". And if you just go through, a lot of people say 34 is the cutoff. I think more realistically, if you're going to have a cutoff, 33 is where pretty much every good tackle, you know, the vast, vast majority of good tackles in the NFL are 33-plus. So there's still some that are coming under, but 33-plus, you get guys like Joe Staley, David Bakhtiari, all, you know, Brian Balaga, all in the 33 to 34 range. I don't so know where those the 34 guys, I don't know where 34 came. came from either. That has been repeated a few times this offseason, but 33 seems more, if you're going to have one, under 33, there's not a lot. Yeah, I've seen... I've seen 33 called the cutoff, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. And not a whole lot of guys are coming in under that anyway. But I've seen yeah. 33 as the cutoff. If you've used 34 as the cutoff randomly, then you're missing out on David Bakhtiari, Mitchell Schwartz, Teron Armstead's right at 34, Dwayne Brown, Jason Peters, Brian Bulaga, Kelvin Beecham, Jake Matthews. I mean, it's, it's nonstop. Yes. So Jonah Williams is right in line with a bunch of guys who have played really Very well. Yeah. And he's good at football. He's a tackle. Exactly. The only re- the only way he would not be a tackle is if he goes to a team that has two tackles and he plays guard, which is fine. That's a strategic move. That's not a yeah. let's make him a guard. Exactly. Case closed. You wrote this on the website. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, you go back and watch just the amount of time. So you worry about it. Again, I kind of touched on it. The length disadvantage when that's when it'll show up is when the defensive line has long arms, gets into your pads first. That's when you worry about it. Well, he went up against Cleveland Farrell in the national championship game. A lot of long arm rushes, a lot of bull rushes from Farrell. Not a single one resulted. But there was one play that Cleveland made Jonah look bad, and everybody tweeted it. And that one had nothing to do with arm length, though, either, because it literally was because Farrell trips into Jonah, causes him to trip, and they both run back into the quarterback. It's very awkward. Um, I will repeat the one thing about length um, that I heard from an offensive line coach recently that he or heard a couple years ago where he focuses on if the D lineman can get his hands on the O lineman's pads, right? If he gets, if you do that too often. Mm-hmm. then it's either a technique issue or an arm length issue. It's something with the offensive line. It's, it's a bad thing. So he would almost just, yes. using analytics, just straight count it. How often does that happen? 
Um, and the best guys yet, they just don't let that happen. Well, yeah, it's, you don't even let them get the hand placement for you don't let them into your chest to begin with. You knock that right. hand away before it even starts. That's right. your best bet to do. I like the idea of just straight up counting it, which is great. <laughs> All right, let's get to some other general players we're looking at. Do you want to discuss wide receiver? Cl- I, I think that's the most receivers? that position is where the testing is going to separate the most in terms of our draft board, make the biggest difference in terms of. The guys that they're testing, because there's so many guys in a similar mold in terms of 6'3 to 6'5-ish, you know, the bigger receivers, larger, contested catch guys. There's so many of them. Which ones are actually athletic? Which ones are actually have some speed down the field? Which ones actually have some change of direction ability? Which ones are stiff? Which ones are probably not going to be able to create separation at the NFL level? Because it's just difficult when you talk about college cornerbacks being able to correctly predict how that separation will translate to the NFL because so many just aren't good so you say oh this you know this double move that that uh Nikhil Harry ran against this corner look at him just burn him well it's a college corner who might never play a snap in the NFL uh, he, he might be have gotten burned by every single wide receiver he saw a double move against you so ha- you, you have to also know the context of what happens with a double move yes double moves sometimes work only because the corner is keying a three-step drop, yeah. a quick drop by the corner. It's, it has nothing to do with the receiver. It's the cornerback's yeah. technique looking at the QB mm-hmm. more than anything. It's so you can't always give no, proper yeah, yeah, credit no, to yeah, the receiver. No. So, the receiver class. You've been all over J.J. Arcega-Whiteside saying he needs more hype. When you Great. do watch him on film, he looks a little stiff running his routes. But here's my question. Last year, you have Calvin Ridley who does terribly at all the agility drills. But he was the best route runner in the class last year. Mm-hmm. Because route running is not necessarily how quick you're in and out of your breaks. That's a part of it. The part where Ridley, I think, made up for it was his so, ability to manipulate cornerbacks. And mm-hmm. our Sega Whiteside, I think, makes up for it with some of the best releases off the line of scrimmage yes. than any other receiver. So even if he doesn't have great agility drills, is he still going to end up in the first round that, for us where he is now? I. I don't think he's going to get drafted in the first round, but I do think, one, he's going to have a better 40 time than a lot of people expect. People yeah. are projecting him in the four sixes. I expect him to be low to mid four fives uh, because I just think there were some plays on tape where he separates from cornerbacks just with pure speed down the field. And like you said, I'm surprised he isn't getting more hype because of how good his releases are at the line of scrimmage. That's usually the last thing to come around for receivers because they just don't see a ton of press coverage. He saw some press man, and he torched it consistently as good, if not better, than any other wide receiver in this class, which to me, that's a very important. That means he's going to translate to the NFL. All those skills are going to go right away to the NFL. He's not going to have to have this sort of learning curve that we've seen from a lot of guys who come from spread systems who never get punched in the mouth of the line of scrimmage he's already done that he's already shown he can do that so i think he's a safe projection in that but might not have the perceived upside of some of the uh, other wide receivers in this like class DK but Metcalf. i think he's a you just what you see is what you get with him at this point my the other thing which i like because like we go always talk about the risk aspect i don't think he's that risky of a prospect sure. for that reason and the thing i like about our sega white side we also say look if the only thing you talk about a guy is contested catches which we're not for him mm-hmm. He is excellent at contested catches, but I think he does it two ways. I think he does it with boxing out and using his body, yes. but also with body control. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to and, win. You just win by rebounding, or you can win by adjustments and just making great catches. Well, and it's tracking the ball down yeah. the field. He yeah. is getting in a better position than the cornerbacks are at the catch point. And that box out thing was a great you know, example of it. He would. He didn't even have to have... It wasn't even you didn't even have to box out perfectly every time, but he would get to the spot where the ball was going to be right. in the air. He would just get himself enough and then make the play. Uh, what about AJ Brown? Have we gone 
full circle on him. There was a point where he was our number one wide receiver based off of his production. Then there was a point where it's like, all right, you know, he's got a lot of easy plays coming out of the slot in Ole, at, at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. and now we're probably going to move him back up the draft board just a little bit. I think what helped him a ton, in my eyes at least, maybe in some other evaluators, I'm not sure, but the fact that DK Metcalf went down and he replaced that role in the offense, so he went into the Metcalf role, he started being that outside receiver instead of full-time slot, which he was at the beginning of the year, outside receiver, full route tree, and he separated far better than even Metcalf did at the intermediate level on that route tree. He ran slants and digs, deep, uh, you know, intermediate posts. He was getting separation consistently against cornerbacks, and he weighed in almost as much as DK Metcalf did. 226 at yeah. almost at just about 6'1 is a horse of a wide receiver, and so I think he's, in terms of, and I think he's going to test well, too, in terms of speed, agility so at 6'1 226 there's not a lot of receivers built like that in the nfl and not a lot of cornerbacks can physically match up with that at the breaks of routes with his sort of athleticism what about separating andy isabella and marquise brown marquise brown 166 now some of that might be liz frank injury recovery like jalen smith's was when he came in at 219 i think at the combine how bad is after surgery yeah after surgery you lose weight just because you can't work out you can't keep that sort of mass on when you're uh you know a world-class athlete so that is a little concerning i didn't expect him to be you know 190 uh andy isabella came in at 188 so that's a good weight for him even though he's not even you know five eights or whatever there so I that one's a tough separation for me. I have Isabella ahead just because I think that again he can hold up on the outside with his size a little bit better. But Marquise Brown, I mean, to me when I was watching his tape, it reminded me a lot of Deshaun Jackson. That's about the weight that Deshaun Jackson came in at the combine. So it's like if he remind you of a guy that came in at the same weight, you can't double count. You can't count that against them at like that it. point. Yeah, don't double count. Can't double right. count all of these things. You knew he was going to be small. Ed Oliver's going to crush it from an agility and athleticism standpoint we can't we can't double count it uh, any other receivers where you think the testing is important or just what we've been uh, reviewing recently is either you know something good for them or concerning yeah so then like i said the big wide receivers preston williams akeem butler Nikhil harry i guess preston williams i'm here sorry akeem butler Nikhil harry kelvin harman uh, all those guys on the bigger end all have concerns about uh, high-level athleticism, being able to get open down the field consistently like you have to in the NFL. You can't just consistent. You just can't rely on always making contested catches down the field. You have to separate at some point. All those guys that have concerns about which one's the big, best athlete because that might be the separator for me at the end of the day. All right. A very deep wide receiver class. How many guys do we have? We're looking at 12 guys currently with uh, top three round grades Mm -hmm. right now in our current evaluations there's still more to do more work to do on the wide receiver class but as of now um, and that includes guys like Nikhil Harry and Kelvin Harmon and Hakeem Butler who others might like as high as the first or second round that we have a little bit lower yeah not in our top 50 a little bit lower not in our top 50 at this point focused on separation yes big the big key that we're focused on more and more because that is what wins at the NFL level. Do we want to talk interior D-line? Yes, we do. All right. Because that is probably that along with edge and maybe offensive tackle, the deepest position in terms of just high-level talent in this draft. 
that you know guys who are going to step in right away start for your football team we've got ed oliver who actually weighed in more than draymond jones Mm -hmm. was not expecting that Draymond's was a bad number. Two eighty-two is a bad yeah. number at his size, almost six-three. That's just that is officially looked, tweener type of weight. At I that didn't point, think he looked slight on film, mm-hmm. but that's slight. Ed, I was expecting all the rumors for Ed Oliver were that he was about two seventy to two seventy-three during the season. Yeah. Um, so you know, how much do you truly focus on this number? How much is the water weight? Like you said, how much is it like? All right, I'm just going to put weight on. I'm just doing it because that's what I need mm-hmm. to do. But, but the playing weight still more comfortably 12 to 15 pounds lighter. It's tough to gauge. But weighing in at 287 was a big deal for Ed Oliver. Sli- the arm length for an interior defensive lineman, definitely well below. Yes, under 32-inch arms for Ed Oliver is the bigger number there for me if I'm picking between the two. I would have rather he came in at 275 with 34-inch arms, which obviously is you can't change your arm size, but the arm length there is an issue because it just, again, it defines interactions when you don't have big arms, and especially him who doesn't have big arms and was not good with his hands to begin with. But he's he's, going to win with quickness off the ball and, and more moves, you know, quick hand moves rather than you know trying to win with length i mean that's how you have yeah. to get the best out of him correct yeah but again length also helps with a lot of different things helps with bull rushes helps keep offensive linemen at bay and bull rush at you know with his explosiveness should be partially you know should be his calling card so uh, you like the weight but what does the love to see the arms bigger but now it's just if he tests off the charts i still think you're, you're checking that box so if you put on this weight still test still, you know, still runs a four six something you're going to be all right with that arm size what about jerry tillery coming in at what six six plus but under 300 i was surprised at that I, that doesn't bother me whatsoever i think if you like my comp for him was chris jones who actually i believe lost weight this past year and had a career year you don't have to be when you have that sort of length it's obviously going to matter against double teams but pass rushing is key first you can rush the passer at a high level as that weight. I think that's a fine weight for him. The one that really opened my eyes, the biggest weight after Ed Oliver's that I saw on the defensive line class, Kalen Saunders, the Western Illinois tackle. 324 is a big, at just over, very not, even, not even 6'1". He is six foot three twenty four. That's a horse in the middle of your defense. He was playing on the edge for Western Illinois at times there at 324. I want to see what he tests like. Because if he runs you know, a sub-5, second 40 at 324, that's a guy who's going to, I think, move up some draft boards after he how he dominated hype? in Mobile. We've got, um, we've got the grading on Western Illinois coming through. We're doing some end-of-the-season uh, grading. So we'll have uh, some PFF numbers on him. Very, very shortly, and I think that'll help finalize our projection. Mm -hmm. But expecting, obviously, FCS high grade, and we saw what he did. Very impressive at the Senior Bowl as well. What about, do we have to talk about Kyler Murray and his weight? We've we've said so many things about Kyler Murray. It it was was such an interesting uh, weigh-in for the thing, because one, my takeaway was 5'10 and 1'8. The Oklahoma strength coach said he was under 5'10", uh, at the beginning of last season. So, again, he's grown since then, almost you a half stretch inch. stretch him out. You can <laughs> stretch my, these guys out. What I think it is is his haircut. If you look at his haircut, his hair is sticking straight up off the top of his head. Come on. He has – the way his he has done his hair, if you put some gel in it, put something to make it a little you know, starchier – it's harder to you know put that uh, that ruler on top of your head lower. I think he gives himself a little inch with that haircut. So now we've got guys who can break the you know the height 
scale. Yeah. Massaging We've already hands talked about massaging hands. hands for hand size. When I was training for the combine, Mike, they mm. taught us how to beat the vertical jump. Yeah. You really, because they, cause they stretch out your, um, they have to get your reach first. Yeah. And you really have to set your scapula back. Your, your upper back needs to be just set down as hard because they want to tug your arms up and get as big, big a reach as possible. You have mm. to fight them, pull your scapula down so your reach doesn't look as far. Yeah. And that still is an extra couple inches. That's why I had a 32 inch vertical <laughs> when we tested. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. At 275 pounds. That's a pretty ridiculous vertical. Six but but yeah, like with that, as long as your arms are, you can, you can steal probably three or four inches at that point yeah. if you're really not giving your all on That's the why reach. I can dunk at 6'10 with. Uh, if you couldn't dunk at 6'10, Steve, we'd have a problem. We would. We would. Uh, I could still dunk too, as unathletic Again, as I am right if now. If you couldn't dunk at 6'10, that would be. Ridiculous. There'll be a day where I'll, yeah. I won't be able to dunk, that and strong. that'll be sad. Hopefully, it's not until I'm about 85, maybe 90. Uh, any other position? So, yeah, there's not much else to talk about with Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. His height did not change how well he plays football. His weight did not change how well he plays football. I don't care a whole, whole lot about his weight. Tiny little baby arm, 29-inch arms. That's very small. But, I mean, again, we just all knew this. This was If you look at him, he has short arms. Yeah. He's short. If it's 5'9 or 5'10 and a half, I think I'm long sure arms make it more difficult there. to throw the ball anyway. Yeah, you don't want it's the arm length uh, for offense tackles. There's a point where they're too long. Yeah, you, you don't, don't want long arms, to, and you can't control them. I don't know what Deshaun Watson's arm length is, but there's sometimes it feels like he's like a little lanky, yeah. and uh, and I think it affects his his accuracy. That's a hot take. Got to look into it. <laughs> but um, I've got long arms, and yeah. I couldn't throw I couldn't throw the ball accurately. Could, yeah, therefore it must be difficult. How about uh, cornerback? Cornerback Some speed 40s. times on our top three guys or again for. The, that sort of second group of corners. So we have the top group of corners. I don't have too many speed concerns. DeAndre Baker, I, I'd like for him to run uh, under 4-5 would be nice. I'm not sure he will, but I don't think he's going to be in the f- around 4-6. I don't see, foresee that being a case. But I do think that sort of secondary group, Julian Love, Rockison, Justin Lane, Joe Juan Williams, all those guys. Very important for those very guys. Very important for them, especially the bigger guys there, Lane and Joe Juan Williams. Uh, both around six two ish. If they can run sub four or five at that size, that you go, you move up boards when you're a big long corner who is fast. These guys don't work out till Monday, but my predictions are our are, are top three guys: Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams. I don't think any of them break break any records in the forty. I could see Murphy being really good in the agility drills. I could mm-hmm. see the same thing with Baker and Greedy, probably just. Solid checks in with some definitely. length and you know yeah. looks solid all around like you're saying so i don't see much movement from those guys <laughs> but I, I i am interested to see what amani over over does from a uh, change of direction standpoint i think he'll have this big long frame reminds me if i keep to leave from a frame standpoint how well will he move and then some of those other guys that you mentioned mm-hmm. who are in the second round anything else i think that's you it want to touch on? i'm excited for this weekend it does matter as much as people Wanna you know? I'm back hate on, it. on it. it. It matters it, and it doesn't. There, there are things that matter, but it's not end all be all. It's more it matters for checking purposes, making keeping yourself in check, keeping your biases inherent beforehand in check. I'd say there's a lot of uh, chicken to the egg mm-hmm. with this stuff. A lot of stuff's double counted. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. If a, in a lot of this stuff should show up on tape. Sometimes you have to go back and, and rewatch. And a lot of it's because, say, George Kittle a couple of years ago, he graded really well for us. His, we called him the best all-around tight end in the nation going into his last year at Iowa. Mm-hmm. And then he tested off the charts. 
And a lot of people hadn't properly evaluated Kittle at that point. So because they hadn't done that, they're like, well, we got to go back to the tape. Yeah. So a lot of it's based off of like, have you gotten to this guy yet? If you had already evaluated Kittle, sure. you probably saw it on film. Yes. And you're like, oh, this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. If you saw it properly. If you didn't evaluate him yet, it's like, man, I got to go check out George Kittle. Mm-hmm. We at least had all the grades in there and all that athleticism had already showed up on film and he was a good run blocker and now he's the best tight end in the NFL last year. Yes. Crazy. Him and Travis Kelsey. All right, Mike. Good stuff. Do you want to do a quick my guy? Let's do a quick my guy because I already sort of touched on him, but A.J. Brown, Ole Miss, like I said, I had, I had watched the, in 2017, great out of the slot, watched him early part of the season, and you just so much of the production, when you see a guy run a five-yard out against off-zone coverage and turn it in 10 yards, you just think, I could have gotten that. And that's so, a lot of a guy's production in the slot, a lot of college production. When you see that on tape, you're just saying, uh, you know, like every, the numbers that he puts up just start getting downgraded in your mind. Downgraded, downgraded, downgraded. But then he moved to the outside at the end of the year, started running some real routes that you'll have to run the NFL if you're going to draft a guy in the first round. You're going to put him out wide, and he's going to have to beat man coverage, going to have to beat, you know, those sort of coverages he's going to see. And he did that as well in my mind. Beat, you know, Joe Juan Williams, a Vanderbilt corner, a handful of times. Looked very good, like I said, on the intermediate route tree, can stop on a dime. Big fan of his game. I think he's a first-round type of talent. Can win different ways. And then I, I can't remember if I already used this one, but I'm going to do it again. Our listeners can correct me mm-hmm. if I'm repeating it. But Justin Lane, you I mentioned think you've him only had one this whole year, and it's just been Justin, Justin Lane. Justin Lane every time. week. <laughs> uh, I grabbed Jawan Taylor a couple weeks ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Used him twice also. Yeah, whatever. I'm kidding. I've got two guys that I really yeah. like. It, it's the opposite of what I used to like. I used to like everybody. Yeah. Now I'm just really paring it down. Justin Lane... He's the only guy I like in the draft class, the Michigan State corner, former wide receiver. I definitely did this before. Yeah. It was either here or on Sirius Radio, but whatever. I still like him. Wide receiver skills, love him as a zone corner, still maybe room to improve in other areas of his game, but he graded well. Get this you know, overall package of good grading, room to improve. That was what William Jackson was a couple years ago. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he is William Jackson, but William Jackson was... Yeah. Uh, was very good in our grading, had room to improve, and then he ran sub 4-4. I don't expect that from Lane, but... I think I, he's fast, though. Yeah, I, I but think he's, he's got... Four, in the 4-4s, four, four, so I'd say, if I had to guess. Four, and, if four, he goes, and if he does that, you know, he's another yeah. guy that we could potentially move up. That's my guy for the week. And that is our podcast for the week. Special mm-hmm. thanks again to Lance Erline of NFL.com. Special thanks to Mike Renner for just being here. Uh, yeah. your PFF I deserve hat. that. I deserve thanks every time I do decide to show Well, up. yeah, because I just never know. Sometimes you just, you know... You might be out on a modeling shoot or something. So it's sure. good to have you here. Have fun at the wedding this weekend. Want I will. Full report. Don't, as my parents said, don't do anything I wouldn't do. All right. I don't, I don't know what you would do, but I probably will do stuff you wouldn't do. Great. Probably be a good time then. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you on Monday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. 
It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.